lights, camera, we're going live. Learn the ins and outs of live events from today's top business leaders and how to make yours epic. Here's your host, Aaron Smith. All right, welcome to another episode of Epic Live Events. I am here with Chris Marr of the Content Marketing Academy. Chris, welcome. Hi, Erin. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for coming. I've You have such an extensive history with events, and I know you've taken a bit of a switch in your company in the way it, it used to be events to help build an agency-type business, correct? Mm-hmm. And now you kind switch, of, yeah. Yeah, okay. And now you switched <laughs> over to the membership site. Can you talk a little bit about events from the beginning of building your business uh, and then yeah. how they've evolved to now? I think there's probably just a tiny little bit more history than that, just to kind of give it context for people that are listening. Because I know that your podcast is about helping people to be more successful with their events and things like that. So I think mm-hmm. oversharing might be a good thing right now. Go so I think the best thing to say is I'm, 30, I'm 36 years old. I've been running my business for about just over five years now, but I've been involved in events since I was 19 years old. I started working, in fact, I started working in hospitality when I was 15 in restaurants and hotels and things like that. So when I did my qualifications at college, it was a management diploma for hospitality. So I went into work in the University of St. Andrews in the residency side, right, which was looking after all the catering. So we were running events all the time, everything from in-house events, which was uh, workshops. So teaching our team members, so was in management. So it was leadership and management role. There was lots of workshops and training and development for team members, right? So there was that side of things. But then about when I, was, when I got to my mid-20s, I got a more senior management role, which was looking after our exclusive events venue for weddings. And we were doing somewhere between 50 and 60 wedding receptions a year in this venue right so there was whole like a a wedding it was exclusive all in one type of event venue so you would have your day event there and your evening event there as well so it was a whole thing so events organization has kind of been drilled into me for a long 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 time so it's quite funny because when we started my own business we started it up as an agency and we ran an agency for about three and a half four years and then we transitioned to the membership business I always ran events, even from the very start. My very first um, paid thing that I did, uh, I had some clients, but the very first sort of paid event that I did was a marketing workshop that I ran, and it was for about 12 people. And most of the people in the room were either clients or friends. <laughs> I think I had one or two properly paying people, customers that were at the workshop. Um, so from the very start of my business, I even ran workshops. I did free, free meetups for about a year or a year and a half. I did really small, um, small ticket events for marketing workshops as well that I ran for about a year. They were £10 per person, wow. right? Um, of those challenges, getting people to come to things that are free and low cost, right? Um, so we can talk a little bit about that when we, when we get into it. But there's been a whole history of there. Even in between leaving my job in 2011 and graduating from university in 2013, I started a live promotions business, live music promotions business, which was using local venues, putting on gigs with bands from all over the world, um, and obviously selling tickets, promoting events, marketing websites, all of that stuff. So live event stuff has kind of just been... It's just been drilled into me for a long, long time. So even when, even looking back on it now, there's, there's no surprise to me that I did do workshops and meetups and I am doing live events now as well. Just 
it's, it's never really been a hugely conscious in that I'm, like, I'm a live events person. It's just been always a part of what I've done to complement my business. Interesting. So can you talk about like when you're starting, I don't, and I'm asking this from the perspective, I did not realize, I knew live events would have power. I did not realize like what a difference it does make. Like, you, you know, you do online work, people get to see you online, but what a difference switching over to the live event makes. Can you talk about, you know, why you saw it or the potential you saw and why you started doing them right out of the gate? Uh, yeah, so the key thing here, I think, for me is that I love to teach. So a lot of the live event stuff that I do was about me teaching something. Um, and obviously, times things have changed. You know, uh, you can t- do a lot of teaching online. But the events that we run, I think, is very difficult to get that same uh, transformation, the same dramatic transformation that takes place in a room online online's great for teaching information delivery getting people to do something say technical or at least go through a process but actually getting someone to actually make a transformation kind of mainly happens in the room um so you know i've always been a teacher uh, i think one of my other drivers was really to get in front of more people uh, more of the right types of people so there's a lot of networking events you can go to but they're all the wrong people for me um i didn't I, they got was getting in front of all the wrong people instead of all the right people. So what I decided to do very early on was just do my own events. And that way I was getting people that were interested in marketing, sales, business growth, uh, ambitious, visionary people that I could work with. Um, so I think there was a lot of reasons why I did it. Um, but I think the key one is that I just, I like teaching and I like development and I like to have I like to be at the front of the room teaching people. And I think that's a big part of it. It does take a, a certain personality, but I, I love it too. Now, I would love to have the free low cost conversation to moving mm-hmm. to the higher end. I actually personally, I'm not a low cost free fan because I think it brings in a different crowd. And I would love to hear your perspectives on that. So, you know, doing the low cost free versus now, I know yours is a, a very lucrative event, paid event. How did you start initially and how did you get success from filling the rooms with, with quality? I think free sometimes can bring out Mm -hmm. sometimes the the people, it's a fine line in your marketing. I'd love to hear how you did that. Yeah. I think it's about finding, it's definitely about the right people. So free, free, low cost is funny. Even this is again, even paying 500 pounds for an event, which might seem like a lot of money to people. um, If someone pays that a year in advance, there's still a good chance they won't come. Absolutely. Right. So this is not about how much money they've paid or haven't paid. This is about the value of their time to come to the thing or the, um, they might have to still spend money on flights, travel, accommodation, time out of the office, time away from kids, family, uh, their husband or wife. Right. So that's the money is just one, one, it's a major factor at a specific point in time but it's not the major factor that will get them in the room, right? Mm-hmm. Um, very, right? Some, and for, some, for some people, writing a check is actually the easy part. Like writing a check for £500 or paying £500 for a ticket is actually the easy bit. And deciding to come to the event is the easy part. Actually getting there, taking the time out and all the rest of all the stuff I've just sort of described is actually the hard part. Mm-hmm. So regardless if it's free, £10, £100, £500, £5,000, you have to give them a reason to actually want to be there. So that's the key. That's the key. So you don't just, when someone signs up for a free event, don't just assume they're coming. Uh, when someone pays £500 for an event, 
don't assume they're still coming. You have to continually give them a reason that is valuable use of their time. To people, People's time is more valuable than the money they spend. So people vote with their time rather than their wallet. So for example, say we're running our event next year, people have paid £500 in advance for their ticket and say that's 100 people, um, but only 70 come. So actually we've not had a successful event. You know, we got the money in the bank, but 30 people didn't come. That's not good enough. That's people voting with their time rather than their wallet. So I think regardless of the free, low cost, expensive, it's about giving them a reason to come. I think we've always been pretty good at that. I think we've got a lot of learning to do, as we all do. But I think we've been pretty good at that. That's always been with me. It's like even leading up to an event, it's like I have to make sure they really understand why they're coming and make sure they're definitely coming along, whether it's free or not. So I think that kind of, that's like a blanket answer for, for mm-hmm. all of it. Um, but you're right, the free, the free thing is um, a lot of people would say don't do a free event because you'll either attract the wrong people um, or no one will come or no one will, everyone will sign up but no one will come. It's just about expectations. I mean, I've seen people uh, that run events complain about this. This does, this does uh, what we say in Scotland, get on my goat or it annoys me uh, when I see people complaining about this where they write a, someone wrote an article on LinkedIn about this. They run a business networking event. They were having a good old moan about the fact that 60 people signed up, but only 20 people actually turned up. And it's their fault. You know, if you're going to sign up for something, you should come along. And, I, and my argument to that is, no, it's your fault. The organizer, you have to give them a reason to want to come. The fact that they didn't actually says more about you than them. So it's whether they paid for it or not, right? So I think this is very much about, especially today, with lots of different live events, lots of places mm-hmm. to spend your time, free, you know, relatively almost free streaming television. Uh, attention and time is, is, the, is, the, is what we're fighting for, all of us, regardless of what we do. So um, you have to give them a reason to want to come. It has to be special. It has to be exciting. It has to be fun. It has to be, uh, it has to be transformational. Um, it has to be something they want to talk about and remember forever. It has to be an experience. To be honest with you, going forward, it's probably one of the only things that people will spend money on is experiences because everything else is becoming cheap or free or readily accessible anyway. So, you know, I think that's, that's, where, that's where I sit on that one at the moment. I love it. I could not agree with you more. I think, you know, I, I agree. It's time. I, I have so many questions that one. But first one, what are you doing to continually communicate that value of why they should be there? Is it just constant follow-up email even after the ticket purchase? Uh, you know, what are the things you're doing to make sure you're touching them I, in between that purchase and event to make sure you're, you're, you're communicating mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Email's massive. Like it's completely, it's the way we make our money. hundred uh, percent emails, emails huge. Uh, so we use email a lot. Uh, social media, obviously a lot as well. We're, we're a content marketing Academy. We practice what we preach. Content is going out all the time. Videos, podcasts, blogs. Uh, we do all of those things as well to keep in touch with people. Obviously a big part of our a big part of what we do is our membership program as well, and we run courses. So we're always working with people somewhere along the journey. Some people will go quiet for a while. They buy the ticket and we'll never hear from them for a while. They don't want to be continually reminded about an event that they paid for because it might be one of 10 that they're going to in the year. So there'll be a time, though, in the future, probably in the next four to six weeks, where we will start to ramp up communications for our event coming up in June next year. Now, that's six, seven, eight months in advance um, but we will start to communicate with them about six to seven months out from outside the event. Um, 
you know, they know what's happening. Uh, the dates were probably in their diary or they're aware of it anyway. So, you know, I think there's, there's a time. Um, one of the a couple of things that we do do, though, just to kind of give a more practical advice for folks listening, is that we, this is pretty basic stuff, I think. Most people do this, I think, is obviously having <laughs> Don't a professional... Don't assume. <laughs> yeah, never assume, yeah. <laughs> uh, we have a professional photographer at all our events and we drip that photographer photos out so for the first sort of like four to six weeks after our event we don't just like put all the photos in an album we drip them out with stories so we go oh, this is the first time that Cara met Eva at our event or um, remember that time when this happened or whatever and we drip them out we also record every single one of our presentations as well and they go into our membership portal so people can watch people that weren't at the event can watch we also have someone that sits in the room for two days. This is during our kind of big annual event I'm referring to that will sit in the room and just does social media for two days. And her single objective is to market to the people that aren't there, right? So she's marketing on social to people that haven't decided to come this year with the intention that they will go and sign up for our waiting list for the early bird pre-sale tickets for next year, which launch on the last day of the conference this year. So we sold half of our tickets for next year, year in advance, based on kind of those kind of strategies. Um, we're, so those are the kind of things we're doing. Um, the other big, big player in all of our marketing and communications is the oversubscribe model, which we do, which we use. It's just like constant, like constantly working to oversubscription. So right now, for example, if you wanted to come to CME Live 18, the only thing you can do is sign up to the waiting list. You can't buy a ticket. You don't know how much it is. You don't know when they're going to go on sale. All you know is that you need to put your email into a box to actually find out when that is. So we build our waiting lists up all the time, like constantly 365, uh, 365 days a year. We're constantly building to oversubscribed. So oversubscribed really is the um, having um, some element of capacity, right? So for example, the offer... The, the oversubscribe model we ran in June this year was we only have 100 tickets available. They're at this price, which is 50% off, um, and the deadline is the end of the month, right? So if you don't sign up by the end of the month, you're going to miss the offer. But they all went. All 100 went by the last day, and that was a half our tickets sold in a, a year in advance. So that's one of the big things we do is we kind of build it that way. We build it in campaigns, essentially. Um, so we're not continually selling and we close the sales down. We don't bring them open again until about six months later. And that way we don't feel like, like, so if you're an event organizer, so from an event organizer's perspective, the benefit is you're not constantly have, trying to sell all the time. And also your audience don't feel like they could just buy it anytime. Exactly. They can't buy it anytime. They have to buy it when you say they can buy it. And that builds that scarcity element to it in the sense of urgency, which people need. And a lot of people say like, don't give, don't, don't use fake urgency. I don't think you should use fake urgency. What type, the type of urgency you should use is a type of urgency that gets people to make decisions because we're all affected by inertia. We don't make decisions. If you can do something that gets people to make a decision, actually doing them a favor by getting them to make a decision. So there's a lot of things that go into that. Email is big, definitely, but we, there's other elements, like other really subtle factors that matter, which is the deadlines, the capacity, the scarcity, the sense of urgency, to get people to make decisions. And all of that communication is happening all the time. So even when someone signs up to our waiting list, that's communication. They've gone to a landing page, they've put their email in a, in a box. There's a sequence of emails that are now going to go out to them. It's just constantly building that up all the time. We're on our fifth annual event next year. We have ran two, three dozen sort of meetups, maybe. I don't know how many workshops I've ran. Uh, who knows, right? I, I, I don't know. Um, so 
I think the important thing is this has taken a bit of time just to kind of piece it all together. You know, over time, we've built this up over a sort of four or five years. So if you're just getting started with your event, there's a lot of things you can kind of unpack from that. Number one is read over subscribed, read the book by Daniel Priestley, like hands down the best marketing book for anyone that runs a live event. Um, and start to build in things like your email waiting lists and subscription stuff. Just start to build it up. We'll start with one or two people, then it'll be 10, then it'll be 20, then it'll be 30, then it'll be 50, then it'll be 100, then it'll be 1,000. You know, and it just builds and builds and builds. So don't compare like my journey five years into your journey one year in. Um, but I do believe that you could do a lot of the things that I am doing right now quicker and better than I'm doing them. So, you know, work hard, work fast, but don't sort of compare yourself. This is, a, this is one of the things I think we'll probably talk about anyway is don't compare yourself to other people's like middle if you're at your mm-hmm. beginning. I think that can be detrimental to where you are So in your journey. So do what you can with what you have. Hopefully there's it. a lot in there. Sorry for the... Uh, no, was, <laughs> no. Inc- I mean, seriously, right there. Incredible tips. I just wrote that book down too. Well, I'm going to put that in the notes page. Cool. I want to cover the details too because... Mm-hmm. You mentioned experience. You mentioned people are going to pay for the experience. Show, mm. Showing up to an event isn't, isn't enough, right? You have to create that experience for them. Can you, yep. just, can you just walk us through some of the details you go through? or what, what is just so crucial for you in the experience that you're mm-hmm. five years in now and people are, you know, keep coming back? Right. So there's a couple of things in this. So you want to... We've always had a knack of picking pretty cool venues. So we don't pick venues like a hotel venue. It's got like a low ceiling, no windows. Kind of like you're, but like I look at Link and I, I don't want to be a critic, right? But no, I, I see people exactly post uh, post <laughs> pictures on LinkedIn about their events and I look at them and it looks, it, looks, it looks rubbish. Like I look at it and go, what is exciting about this event, right? So I look at the room and everything like that. I'm like, it doesn't look exciting. If you're going to take photos for marketing to get people to come to your future events, it better look amazing, right? So we've got like a converted cathedral in the center of the city center in, in Edinburgh, right? Which is like the most impressive, well, probably the most impressive venue in the whole of the capital or one of them anyway, right? And that just sells itself. I don't even have to, I don't have to dress the room. I don't have to do anything. It sells itself. It's the most expensive venue in the city, but it's the most impressive one and it sells itself. So the pictures look, when you see a picture of our event, it looks like it looks like our event because nobody else's event looks like ours, right? So that's number one. So pick something that kind of sells the photography, the video, that sort of thing. Um, something impressive, something people will talk about. Um, something really simple. Um, like, for example, conference coffee is generally terrible. Right. <laughs> don't uh, don't uh, you don't have to have conference coffee, right? So what we did was we bought out the the venues coffee facilities and we brought in an independent coffee provider from the city to do our coffee for us, right? And it was something that people talked about. And one of the reasons people talk about it is because I talk about it as well. I've got to remember that as a conference organ- organizer or a curator is if you talk about something, your audience will talk about it too. So if I say something, this is much more than just a conference. People will say oh, this is, just more, this is more than just a conference or the coffee's amazing because I've said it as well. So don't underestimate your influence on people as well. But anyway, we got, we like replaced the coffee. So we switched the coffee out from the conference coffee to uh, independent retailer, um, which was like high, like a higher end coffee. Price was just the same. Coffee is very expensive when you're running, running a conference for two days for 400 people. It can cost three, four, 5,000 pounds just mm-hmm. for coffee. So I was like, I'm going to spend that much coffee. I want it to be good coffee. So we went and got the best. 
Um, music, things like music and experience. Like for example, this year at our conference, we didn't we kept the doors closed until the very last minute. No one was allowed in. The music was really loud and everybody piled in. And it was like, uh, you, do, you can do little things that don't cost you any money to really make it feel good. Like feels like a great experience. Live music, rock music, whatever your, whatever your thing is. Um, and build up some sort of uh, anticipation around the event. Don't let people see it. Uh, we had vloggers at our, at our event this year as well. So you've got people running around with equipment and, you know, doing their vlogs and stuff like that. So you can embrace your community as well, get them to talk about it. And let, and if they're excited about it, other people will be excited about it too. Um, seating, making sure the seats are comfortable. I mean, this is basic stuff, but making sure the seats are comfortable. They're going to be sitting on them for like a day or two. Uh, make sure they've got enough space to kind of like move around um, but also from a conference organizer's perspective as well, one of the big things I learned was to make sure you get rid of any empty seats as well. So it makes, so I had a conversation with someone just the other day and it's like, it felt like it was like sold out. I was like, it wasn't. Um, it's just, there wasn't any empty seats, right? So you can take, if you can take the seats away so that it feels full and people have a, and again, it's like, it's kind of, it's called the sardine effect where people feel like they're in their, they're rubbing shoulder to shoulder with people and they feel like it feels special, um, to them. So there's lots of things you can do, access, regular breaks, music, seating, um, looking at the, the sort of, say the customer's journey, but just basically the path that they come into an event or a venue. Like for example, as an event a couple of years ago, I'll always remember this because it defined how I do it now. As a, a, It was raining outside. It was a, I don't think people anticipated that it was going to rain, but it was raining. We're in Scotland. So I had a big jacket on, I had a bag, I think I had an umbrella. And I walked in and I had to register, get my pass, get my goodie bag, pick up a cup of coffee and a, and a bacon roll and get to my seat. And I was like, this is, ter- this is a terrible experience. I spilled my coffee. I got brown sauce on my, whatever, my shirt or something like that. And people were banging into each other with all their food and coffee. And they had all their, I was like, can't do this. So what we did was we would displace the registration. People don't have to register first. It's like a thing that people have decided that's, uh, like normal or expected is registration can be way, it could be way far away after people have settled in and got their coffee. Registration is not important to them. It's maybe important to you. Um, so just think about how you can change things up a little bit. Don't look at the norms. In fact, look at what really annoys you about the events that you go to and then do it your way. Don't do it the way that's always been done. Don't be defined by other people. Do it your way. Do what you feel is best. So there's lots of things you can do that make the experience far better. And I'll tell you, there are a lot of things that people do at conferences now. They don't even think, and they're terrible. Learn from the bad experiences and make it a great experience for people. Yeah, no, really great tips in there. And what about for you? I'm assuming with like, you know, a content marketing academy, you're doing breakouts or, you know, you're encouraging people. This is one of my big things too is, Content's great, but it's the meet, it's the people you meet, it's the connections you make at an event that obviously is going to make you keep coming back. How are you encouraging, you know, how do you intertwine that in your events? I'm assuming you've got some pretty easy ways to do that, but I would love to hear how you guys are specifically doing that. Yeah, a couple of big things. So we've got um, an online community. So everybody that buys a ticket for our events goes into Slack group, right? So there's there's the pre-conversations that we have. We write a ton of blogs and do a ton of live video as well, by the way. So we're constantly educating people about what to do in Edinburgh, how to prepare for an event, what things to bring. You know, I've got I've got maybe 20 or so blogs and videos that I just put out on, re- on repetition when leading up to events. So we've got tons of content that educates people about what to do. 
and they interact online throughout that content and in Slack as well. So they're, they're already talking to each other before they get there, which is important. And then when we get to the event, we have, like I said, one of the things we did was we built up the anticipation. So everybody's in and registered and they're in a room. They've got no choice but to talk to each other, really. Um, we, had, we had table hosts this year, which allowed the, the role was to make sure that everybody talked to each other right from the start. Because we've got people that have been there for the first time, people that have been there four times, four years in a row. Want to make sure that everybody speaks to each other. So table hosts were great. It didn't I think there's like things that we could have done better there. Um, but in the main, the objective was to get people to talk to each other at the table. Um, so we do that. Uh, we have regular breaks, like I say, and I do encourage people to do networking. There's more we could do there. We're thinking about doing lunch and learn next year. So we have tables with topics and people can sit around a table with a speaker at the table. Um, and one of the things that people do like about our events is that they have access to the speakers. The speakers are in the room and they're mingling and all the rest of it as well. So we do that a lot as well. Um, at the event, though, I think one of the things we have learned the hard way is that we would try to put as many people on the stage as we could. But not as many as we could, but we did pack it with speakers um, too much. And I think this year coming, we're going to build in more time for um, table discussions and sort of roundtable discussions and things like that. Mm-hmm. So we've definitely learned that. I think it's natural to think that the value you add is how many speakers are on your stage, but it's actually not the case. There's a lot more to it, as we've already discussed. So we do that in the socials. The only other thing I would add in there is socials. Um, we did start doing socials properly this year, I would say. Last year we did it, but it wasn't, it wasn't executed very well. This year it was executed better, and next year is going to be executed even better than it was this year. So we have a pre-event, we have a middle event, we have a post-event. We also have a VIP dinner for our speakers. Those are great for people. It's not for everyone. So we tried to do it different. We had like a gin event. Then we had a, a more sort of like pub kind of event, um, bar event type thing, a bit more inf- informal. I think we had a, we had one where we were at a hard rock cafe as well. You know, so it's tra- different events for different people. Not everybody will go. It won't be everybody's thing. But I think most people like to, when they're on business, like to let their hair down and relax a little bit and get to know other people. So I like to have a good time. So um the social events are a really big part of our culture, of our event. So those are the kind of things that we do to kind of encourage people to chat with each other and talk to each other. We have a Twitter list of all the delegates as well, which I think is a key thing. People following each other on Twitter beforehand, during, after. Um, and I'm trying to think what else we do, but those are the big ones really. We really do make an effort to especially in the lead up to the event to really break that ice and break the barriers down for people so they feel comfortable coming to our event and that they already know at least one person before they get there. Um, and I mean, I will, I put a ton of effort into in, to connecting people one-to-one as well. So I'll literally sit here at my desk and I will be like, right, I know Owen's coming. I really know he should meet Rod. So I'll do Owen, meet Rod kind of email. Um, or I'll do group emails to people like you guys are all in the social media space, social, social media marketing space. You could totally hook up, get to know each other, have a drink with each other, you know, and I'll do that. I'll make that effort to connect people with each other. It's a big part of being a, a curator is not just curating the talent on the stage, but curating the people in the room as well. Love it. Uh, so key. Just those tiny details make all the difference. Yeah. I want Real quick, I want to talk about your content marketing academy because it's more than just an event. This is a business that it's a membership that you mm-hmm. have. You're teaching, you know, businesses really how to successfully learn content marketing and how to do it right. Mm-hmm. How does this align with your business? So you obviously members 
come. That's one thing, but it's not just a member only event. I'm assuming you, you know, one of the things you want to do is, is encourage more people to join the content marketing Academy, yeah. the membership side when they come, how are you? I always say events are very resource and uh, you know, time and money very heavy. So how mm-hmm. are you aligning this with your business where it's, it's worth it for you? Yeah, it's a good question. So the, this is the trick with events is that they can be very, they are very resource heavy. So human resource, um, and financial resource heavy. So you have to kind of see it as a massive piece of marketing without it feeling like a massive piece of marketing. So it's really what it is. It's like a really expensive piece of marketing. Um, number one thing was when we first started, it was to really build an audience. So we, we, we didn't realize there's a, there's a, there's a kind of short story here, but the business wasn't always called the content marketing Academy. It was called learning every day, which was an agency. And it wasn't until we started our conference in 2014 that we realized there was an audience building around that and not our business. So we transitioned into the membership business. So um, we were listening to our customers essentially and what they wanted. So we built it all around them, which became a membership business eventually. Um, and we dropped the agency side and haven't done any client work for over a year now. So we're kind of really in the depths of the membership business. So the way that the business works together, the business model is that the content marketing academy, like our live events, the the, the object the, the objective is that it makes a profit. Okay, but it hasn't yet made a profit. Okay, so we are at the stage now where we're spending a lot of money on this conference, like fifty to sixty thousand pounds to run this event. Right, we're getting international speakers, we're getting an international audience, we're getting seen in all the right places. This is our fifth, this will be our fifth major event and this one will make a profit um, because we'll sell it out and the tickets are higher priced now and we've got, a co- we've got lean in our costs, our costs have kind of like, um, I don't know, they've kind of flattened out a little bit and we understand what we're doing a little bit differently now as well. So this one will make a profit, um, but it's not always about making a profit on the direct thing that we're trying to do you're right people do join our membership as marketing and awareness and brand awareness for us there's a big networking piece as well bringing the online community together me um also networking with my peers so the speakers that we invite over are typically my friends or people that i haven't seen for a while you mentioned Anne handley before she's a good friend of mine um, and she you know and getting to see those types of people as well which is great there's lots and lots of other reasons why you would want to run a live event other than or also including making money from it as well. You don't want to lose money on a live event. I can tell you that right now. You want to make sure that it at least breaks even, but you do have to see the bigger picture. I mean, let, let, I can give you a, just a small example of this. That's one of the reasons that we market to people that aren't coming this year is because they've still not built up enough trust with us to know that they're going to have a good time when they come. Or there's another reason why they haven't come to our event yet. So even in like year three and four, people have seen us doing it from year one. They just haven't decided to come yet. And I know that. So if you run one event and it doesn't feel like a success or doesn't feel like you've made it yet, you've got to run the second one and the third one and the fourth one and the fifth one and it builds and it builds and it builds. So, you know, I think that with, with anything to do with marketing and sales and business growth, it's a long-term perspective. You typically aren't going to just jump into running your first event and you're going to make £100,000 in profit. I don't think that is realistic. Um, but it is realistic to wash your face, uh, make a little bit of money and build that up over time. 
However, if you have a congruent business model, I think it does help. So if you've got a lead-in, so for example, someone joins a membership, buys a ticket for your conference. Someone comes to your conference, buys a membership program. Someone joins a course. Someone sees you speaking on a stage, joins your membership, buys a ticket for one of your live events. Someone comes along to a workshop that you're running, joins your membership, buys a ticket for your live event. Do you see what I'm saying? So you've got like three or four ways where people can come in and then when they get there, they've got three or four things that they can buy while they're in there as well. So I think if you've got congruence in your business model, I think that helps a lot as well. Yeah, very, very, very true. Um, It's like you said, at least if you can break even for now, congratulations on finally getting to the profit standpoint because it's tough. And the flatlining of expenses, I always say like it's first year, you're just going to have expenses that you're like, wait, what, what? Seriously? I have to, you didn't even think of that. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Like coffee is like my big one. You know, you're like, you you do the coffee and you're like, how did coffee cost so much money? And then you add it up and it's like, all right, that's, you know, it does add up. (laughs) So it's like, you've got, you you will have unexpected, but as soon as you do one or two events, all of a sudden you start to have a, a Trello board or a spreadsheet that's nice and filled out. You know what to expect. You can start to play around with things. You can start, like, for example, one of the things we are doing is we're building out our AV, right? So we want to have a more powerful and impactful AV system, videography, photography. You start spending a little bit more money, and then eventually you have things that you'll always have, like, you know, marketing assets and collateral that you'll have this year and next year and the year after, which might be something like a website that you invest in, you know, things like that. So there is a lot of money going out at the front end, and hopefully what happens is you're actually making an investment um, and something you'll make profit on. So yeah, that's, it's, you know, it's not, like you said, it's not easy running live events, but it can be very rewarding. And um, who was it that was telling me? Someone said to me, I'm probably going to get this completely wrong here. They said it's something like, um, it's like being pregnant, it's like having a baby uh, or being pregnant. It's like uh, you go through all that pain and suffering and then very quickly afterwards, you want to have another one. Um, and it's the same with live events. There's a lot of pain and suffering and stress and obstacles along the way. But honestly, you quickly forget about them and they become learning. You, you get better. You just get better. You learn and you, uh, you want to do it again. You want to do it again. Um, so it's good fun. Yeah, I always compare it to having children too because it's like, oh, <laughs> you held it the baby. Yeah. Like, never again. I, I'm so happy I had the baby, but we're done. And then two, two weeks later, six weeks later, your baby smiles. Like, Let's have another one. <laughs> exactly exactly yeah yeah i'm glad you can cover that because it's hard for me to say that i'm a guy obviously so you know i'll never really experience the pain of pregnancy um but yeah anyway that's uh i I was gonna say i'll allow it because you 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 have sleepless nights too i would think yes i do yeah yeah yeah. definitely i've got a two-year-old and i've got another baby on the way and my partner has a 16 year old and eight year old so yeah i've got kids all around us now all my friends have kids so yeah it's awesome Awesome. Well, congratulations on the one. When <laughs> when are you going to be a daddy number? Well, two. Number two. two yeah. um, March. March. Yeah. March, March right. next year, baby girl. Congrats, girls are girls are great. They're you, daddy girl, hundred percent, hundred percent. Good, good. Well, let's have yeah. a conversation in April next year, and let's see if we can get the truth out of you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but cut, when is your next Content Marketing Academy? And if somebody wants to check it out, where can they go? Sure, yeah. The best place to check out is the contentmarketingacademy.co.uk or cmalive.co.uk. You can find all about our events there. You can grab me on Twitter at chrismar101. Um, pick my brain, ask me any questions about anything we've covered today. Um, have a look and see what we're up to. 
Awesome. I'll have all of that on our notes page. Chris, thank you so much. Looks like an incredible event. We're actually talking about going to Scotland. I think your event is in June, is it not? Yeah. Yeah, we're talking about going out there in June. I just don't know if the dates will 100% align yet. So maybe I'll be able to come in person. That'd be awesome. That'd be very cool. All right. Well, thank you so much, Chris. You're welcome. Hey, it's Aaron from the Epic Live Events, and hopefully you enjoyed this episode. Now, I would love to help you with your live event. And how we're going to do that is by offering you our free live events budget worksheet. Listen, events take a lot of resources, whether it's time, money, or a little bit of both. Uh, you've got to figure out a way to really utilize this in your business to make your money back. So this spreadsheet has both sides, the different costs you may potentially have, how you can fill those in. You can just, you know, fill in whatever number estimates, call some people, get an understanding of what it may cost you to put this event or different ways. Um, you can save some money. And then of course, on the other side, how are you going to make money back? Are you going to sell at the event? Are you going to sell tickets? Are you going to get sponsorship? Are there going to be different things that you can utilize in order to begin to make your money back? And this is a spreadsheet that will help you kind of, I'm a spreadsheet girl. That's how I think all the time, but this will help you really start putting the concept to paper or how can you do better in your, in your next event and, you know, really make sure that bottom line, because as much as I would love to do events for free, I can't like it's it's a resource heavy thing, but I promise you so, so worth it. So you can find that you can go to our show notes over at epicliveevents.co. That's C-O. You can also get it in the notes of this episode or jump over to bit, B-I-T dot Lee dot L-Y slash epic underscore budget. Again, that's bit.ly slash epic underscore budget. And you can grab that, like I said, for free start the planning. And I'm telling you, it's so worth it every single bit.